learning how to communicate productively, maturely, respectfully, not just with your partner, but with family, with friends. Growing up in that environment, I just mirrored it. I went into relationships and friendships imitating what I saw mom and dad do. That didn't cultivate healthy relationships or friendships in my life. I know at their core, they're not bad people. I know they're hurt children in adult bodies. To learn these skills, to be able to speak from the eye perspective, to be able to not attack somebody, not accuse them of anything, but to be honest and share your feelings and be vulnerable, but also claim what you need and want, it's a skill set that really needs to be honed. Learn what you listen to and you learn what you experience. So if you don't address these issues that you witnessed and experienced, you're gonna hone those skills and that is going to be what you take into every relationship in your life. Your environments and your friendships, your relationships, they play key roles in any type of growth. If you wanna start learning something, expose yourself to new people. The right person is gonna love the most you version of yourself. And often we communicate too quickly, especially in conflict, and it's not productive because everyone to Diary of an Empath. So I'm super excited as always, but today's guest is a three-time reigning champion on this show and back by popular demand. My next guest is Amy Fiedler. She's literally been on, this is your third time, I think, on the show. And we've had a lot of requests from our previous episodes that we did on boundaries and ghosting. Um, but Amy Fiedler, she's a certified life coach, a three-time author, a Reiki master, a certified trauma specialist, a holistic life coach. And as usual, she's always killing it on the social media game. So Amy, welcome back to the show for the third time. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here. I feel like I need like an award on my wall for being I on know. your podcast so many times. <laughs> I know, I feel like you need a plaque. I, every time I do an episode with you, first of all, it's like so therapeutic for me, number one. Number two, I always get a lot of feedback and a lot of requests to have you on the show and asking who you are because you're just really profound with a lot of your insight. And there's an obvious reason why your social media has just continued to grow and grow and grow because you are just so legit when it comes to the topics that you talk about, like trauma and communication and self-sabotaging. So we've talked a lot about some of our own traumas and some of the things that we've gone through and even your background on our previous episodes. But for those who maybe haven't listened to those episodes yet, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this? Because I want people to know about who you are. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I didn't plan to get into this profession. I struggled for a long time mentally and emotionally growing up, as you know, we have discussed in depth in other episodes. Um, and I, I really, I, I was aiming for a fashion career after college. I was working in New York as a wardrobe stylist assistant, kind of living the life, enjoying it, but really struggling emotionally since a teenager and had gone to conventional therapy, didn't feel like I took away tools from the therapists that I saw, and then kind of like pivoted and started exploring a more spiritual route to really get to know myself and try to understand what 
I was struggling with, you know, not just blaming my parents, but really trying to get a handle on like, why do I feel anxious and what is causing it and how can I live in spite of these feelings? And that just like took on a life of its own. And I really started this self-exploration and spiritual journey. And suddenly I one day was like, I hate working in fashion and commuting into the city and I want to be happy. I don't care so much about money equaling my success anymore. I want happiness to be my success. And so I I was privileged enough to be able to live at home at the time and, and take some time to really get to know myself and figure out what made me happy. And that's where I landed into life coaching. And that's kind of just like expanded from there. I got on Instagram, I started sharing my own thoughts and experiences and insights and the things that I had learned. And then, you know, I learned about my trauma and then I got certified in trauma and it's really a direct extension of me. So I think that's why a lot of people really resonate with my approach because I've lived it. And I don't talk about anything that I haven't actually lived through and worked through. And they get a unique perspective because it's not just me saying, here's what the textbook says. It's like, here's all the nuances that maybe somebody who hasn't been through it isn't talking about. Yeah. And one thing about you, and I always hype up my guests, but you in particular, to everyone listening, like I'm not kidding. There's so much knowledge behind what you do. Like I want everyone after we haven't even started this episode. And I'm telling you guys, you have to go follow her because I'm telling you, there's a lot of life coaches out there. There's a lot of people that are in this self help game. And Amy's one of those people that you can tell she genuinely means the stuff that she says. And what I like is like, you kind of have like this tough love approach, but it's real and it's authentic. It's not fake. You're not making posts just to make them. And I think that's why for me personally, you stand out so much and why like I, if I didn't have a podcast, I would genuinely follow your content because it's helpful for me. And I think that's why you've been on this show so many times is because the stuff that you say is genuinely helpful. So today I actually want to talk a little bit about communication because a lot of what you post in terms of communication is real and authentic. And sometimes we have to take accountability for our own shit. But let's start with the basics. Why is communication important? I mean, communication problems is really the number one breakdown in in a lot of relationships, right? We have miscommunication all the time. It's so common. And so learning how to communicate productively, maturely, respectfully, not just with your partner, but with family, with friends, with colleagues, with strangers on the internet, (laughs) it's something that's really not what we focus on when we're in school, right? We, We learn other skill sets, but we don't learn these fundamental skills that in our home environments are not always cultivated in a healthy way. We learn from the exposure and the experiences we have. So like, I know you know this, like I grew up in an environment that was pretty chaotic and yelling and screaming was the main mode of communication to get people's point across, Uh, berating, shaming, degrading, threatening, And granted, you know, my approach is always, at least for my parents and and my relationship, I know at their core, they're not bad people. I know they're hurt children in adult bodies. And that's really, that holds true, I think, for everybody. But, you know, there's different layers to this and everybody's different with those relationships. But 
when I was a kid, I didn't have that awareness. So growing up in that environment, I just mirrored it. I went into relationships and friendships imitating what I saw mom and dad do. That didn't cultivate healthy relationships or friendships in my life. So to learn these skills, to be able to you know, speak from the I perspective, to be able to not attack somebody, not accuse them of anything, but to be honest and share your feelings and be vulnerable, but also claim what you need and want, it's a skill set that really needs to be honed. I truly wish they focused more on these skills in school from a young age, because when we're children, we're just, again, imitating what mom and dad do all day. And that just perpetuates itself as we get older. Oh, yeah, that's like preach. Take me to church, because as we've <laughs> talked about before, you know, I come from a similar background where berating and yelling. And I mean, should I even deal with that today as an adult from my <laughs> adult mom? And it's like when you're when you go through this as a child and you continuously think that this is the norm, that's how you learn to communicate as an adult. So let's talk about the link with childhood and why that might be difficult for someone to communicate their needs as an adult. I know you mentioned that that's some of the things that you went through as a child as well. But if someone maybe is a child and they are used to a level of communication that's constantly yelling, constantly berating, or just a negative environment, how may that trickle into adulthood when they're trying to communicate now maybe in relationships or with other people? That's their only reference point, right? So if like my only example of communicating with a man or a woman starts out with my mother or father, and obviously context is important. If you didn't grow up with a mother or father, whatever adults frequented your house or wherever you were residing, or even if it was a teacher or a daycare or church, I have a lot of clients whose main influences were in the church and it really impacted them negatively. But if that's the only reference point, like the only reference point I had was my mom screaming and yelling at my father to get her needs met. So what do you think I did when I met a man and I wanted to date him? It was like, I didn't know how to respect myself. I didn't have that example. And so you just learn what you listen to and you learn what you experience. So whether mom did it around me or mom did it in front of me or vice versa, right? If dad did it around me or dad did it to me or dad did it to my siblings, that is the behavior that you learn because it's the only reference point you have. And so until you start to get more experience and exposure or you go to a therapist, right? From a young age and somebody starts to take a more supportive lead in your life and give you the tools to speak differently, to set boundaries differently, to respect yourself differently, unless that happens, which is very rare that that happens, you're going to do exactly what mom and dad do. And, and you'll listen to, I was just listening to a celebrity podcast the other day, and they were like, if you don't work through that mom and dad shit, you're going to start dating your dad, or you're going to start marrying your dad. And it's like, this holds true in everybody's lives. If you don't address these issues that you witnessed and experienced, you're going to hone those skills. And that is going to be what you take into every relationship in your life. So I grew up in a turbulent household. And what you say speaks so true to me because 
I am more of an anxious attacher. I like to think that I'm leaning more towards the secure end now, but I think that at some level, I'll probably always have some anxious tendencies that that come out. Self-awareness is really key here, but that took a lot of insight, a lot of self-awareness, a lot of work, and I'm still working through those things. But I tend, well, I in the past, I would date a lot of avoidance and my, and for those that are listening, when I say anxious attachment avoidant, that's really knowing your attachment style and how this trickles into your relationships. And, you know, we could talk about that in another episode. But truly, when I look at my my past, my mom, who's more avoidant, I tend to date people who are more avoidant. So the closer I would want to get to them, the further away that they would get. And I know we talked about ghosting in a previous episode, but I even feel like that's why people can even sometimes go ghost or even get really distant when they start to sense intimacy or when that other person wants to communicate because they're almost afraid of communicating when anything is uncomfortable. Would you agree with that? Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. A thousand percent. Somebody who ghosts is somebody who is struggling to communicate in that moment. And it can be for varying reasons, right? They could be insecure and feel like they're gonna get rejected if they speak up or they set a boundary, you know? It's very common for people to fear telling somebody, I don't have time right now or I can see you next week and worry that that's going to leave them abandoned. And the interesting part about ghosting, and and I know we just discussed this in that episode, is that the person that gets ghosted takes on all of those insecurities and feelings that the person doing the ghosting is actually working through or or experiencing. So if somebody ghosts you because they're fearful that you're gonna abandon them, you end up feeling abandoned. That's the irony (laughs) of the entire thing. But yeah, people ghost because they don't know how to speak up in that moment. Maybe they don't feel it's important. They don't understand the value of communicating to somebody. And I really drive that home. Like you can't set a boundary with someone unless you've communicated first. Now, there's specific contexts where where the opposite applies, right? If it's a very dangerous, highly abusive situation and your life is at risk, no, don't sit down and try to have like a kumbaya moment and tell them, I'm not talking to you anymore. Just go, right? Or hang up the phone. But in the majority of situations, at least inform the person so they're aware. Otherwise, what happens is somebody is like, Hey, where'd you go? Hey, where'd you go? Hey, where'd you go? And you get annoyed, but you're the one who didn't communicate. I totally agree with that. And I think that on some level, I think we even talked about it. Ghosting is a form of abuse. It's a form of manipulation almost in a way. And I feel like if you're not in an abusive situation, like we we mentioned, if it's for the majority of situations, at least communicating that need or communicating like, hey, I'm not feeling this no more, whatever it is, I think everybody deserves some level of understanding and communication. I almost feel like that's a right in a way. It's just, it's decency. It's human it's, decency. Yeah, it's basic human decency. It really is. 
I agree. And so I kind of want to go back to what you said when we were talking about childhood. And one thing that stood out to me that came to my mind, and I know you talked about this before on your platform, is when you're going through constant childhood trauma or chaos in your household and your nervous system is constantly activated, what does this look like now in adulthood? Because we hear this a lot and maybe everyone doesn't necessarily understand what that means when we talk about the nervous system. I know people like me and you were in this field, but what is the nervous system? Like, what is that connection with trauma and why does that matter now that we're going into adulthood and in relationships? What's that connection? Well, I'm going to make it really, really simple for everybody because I think we go online and we see all these big words, right? And we're like, oh, the nervous system and polyvagal theory and like all of this stuff. And people are like, what does that mean? It's very simple. If you grew up in a toxic stress or chaotic environment, right? Like the ones we described from our childhood, that is what your body becomes used to, right? So your nervous system is now acclimated to these high highs and these low lows. We're used to not having peaceful moments. We're used to, like for me growing up, I was used to getting yelled at all the time. So if I was sitting down peacefully minding my business, I was always on edge because I knew the repeated behavior that I had experienced for an ample amount of time was somebody was gonna pop up with a problem, blame me for it, make me responsible, and I was gonna have to fix it, even if I had nothing to do with it. You take that pattern that I have repeatedly experienced, let's say for 18 years of my life, and then I move out and I go into my own environment living by myself. I sit on my couch, it's silent, I'm at peace, and guess what happens? I'm on edge. Now, is there any actual thing going on in my environment to make me on edge? No, my body is remembering what it feels like to sit on a couch, mind my damn business, and then suddenly get yelled at. And so it's predicting that that is what is going to happen. It's predicting the impending threat. And so what it does is it goes into self-protective mode. It's like, it's coming. We can't relax. And there go the shoulders and everything's tense. And then you can't breathe. And then you start to panic. And somebody else sitting next to you who didn't experience that childhood is going to look around your environment and go, there's nothing tangible here causing this. What's the matter with you? That's trauma. Your body is remembering that traumatic environment. And I think it's really important. And I see more people saying this now, but I think it's really important to say this. Trauma is not the event. Trauma is how we perceived and experienced that event. Yes. It's not, oh, you and I both had the same car crash at the same time. I'm traumatized, you're not. And then it doesn't make sense to people. It makes sense because how you filtered that experience in your mind, in your body is very different than how I did. And therefore what I take away from it and what you take away from it, I compare it to church. (laughs) This is so fucked up, but I compare it to church. (laughs) Two people can go to church, right? And listen to the same sermon and walk away with two different messages. Mm -hmm. It's That's what trauma is. It's how we filtered it. That's right. That's so true. Because even when you look at, okay, so two people that go to combat, you can have two people that have the same exact event happen. Maybe they're both blown up or something happens where they're both witnessing a traumatic event. 
one person comes home and they're able to cope and they're able to function and they're able to process that traumatic event where the other person is not able to process that their nervous system constantly is elevated. They're having nightmares. They're having flashbacks. You know, that's just one example where obviously combat is not the only thing that can be traumatic, but it can be perceived very different from one person to the next. And I actually talked about this on a previous post where when our nervous system is constantly activated as a child, you associate that with love because yes. you're supposed to get love from your parents, right? So if that's what you're associating with love, now you go into these adult relationships where when your nervous system is activated, you're thinking this is exciting. This yeah. is what love is supposed to feel like because this is all I have ever known. But then if you meet somebody who may be healthy and not toxic, your nervous system is all of a sudden not being activated it's kind of like, am I bored? Am I not attracted to this person? Because now I'm not being elevated. I think love is when I'm feeling these like elevated things going on in my body. So this is foreign to me. Maybe I'm not attracted to this person. And that happened to me more than once where I had to check myself like, okay, the people I have been attracted to necessarily are not like they're not necessarily the most healthy people. So I need to really evaluate myself and how I'm feeling in my body. And is this really a non-compatibility issue or is this just my nervous system not reacting from the person? So I think that's an important. So important. So, I mean, so important. I get that question a lot about the boredom. And, and I think what's also I can add to that is that even when you're like, I'm in a really incredibly healthy relationship in my life. And yet still, I find these layers come up of these patterns from my childhood where I'm seeing my mother in me, right? I'm seeing these behaviors that I wouldn't see if I wasn't, you know, knee deep into this relationship by now. And luckily, I'm able to work through them. I have the coping tools to be able to do that. But I think it's also important is that these aren't things that are going to get resolved or healed incompletion before you enter into a relationship. You know, it's an ongoing journey and it's really, really layered. By the way, I'm so happy for you. I'm like, I'm just, I'm happy to see you happy. I just love when I see success stories with, especially with people who I resonate with, who had like the the same type of traumas that I've had. So it gives me hope that there, <laughs> there is Thank someone you. out there. I'm just happy to see you happy. I have to throw that out there. So let's talk about healthy communication versus unhealthy, because I think a lot of us who have been through a lot of these traumas we don't always know that we're self-sabotaging sometimes. And so people who are listening who are maybe like, well, that, that kind of is me. So let's give some maybe examples of like, what does healthy communication look like and what does unhealthy communication look like? So healthy communication doesn't involve yelling, screaming, name calling, threatening, silent treatment, ghosting, behaviors like that. Healthy communication is... Hey, Carisi, I am upset today and I didn't mean to take it out on you. I apologize for that. However, you know, something you said or something you did activated something inside of me and this is how I heard it. And that's why I responded to this way. I take full responsibility for it and I'm going to work on trying to not react that way in the future. Right. So it involves personal accountability. It involves me not blaming someone else. That's why I'm always like, speak from the I perspective, because you can acknowledge 
that somebody else's behavior caused you to feel some sort of way, but you have to own the feeling, you know? And, and I think people miss that little part. So I have to own the fact that I'm anxious. I have to own the fact that I'm angry. I have to own the fact that I'm frustrated and not blame you and try to make you fix that for me, but acknowledge to you, hey, there's something you did or said that created this feeling inside of me and I understand why and I'm gonna let you know so we can work together as a team, even if we're friends. This is not just romantic relationships. This is mother and, and daughter, or father and son or father and daughter or whatever, right? This is family relationships. This is with your colleagues. You have to be able to own your emotions, take accountability, share that, you know, not withhold that from someone and just be like, I, I, I grew up with somebody who was always like, I'm just having a bad day. It was always an excuse. I was just having a bad day. Oh, that's why you called me a raging bitch before. I didn't do anything to you. You were just having a bad day. It was always an excuse. And as a child who's not fully developed up here, does not have the coping mechanisms at that time or the awareness or just like the emotional maturity to maneuver that situation, I take that at face value. Oh, mommy had a bad day. Okay. And then what do you do? You go into the world accepting excuses for bad behavior because mm -hmm. that's what was taught to you. So, you know, parents out there set the example of taking accountability and be human with your child. I think that's one of the best pieces of advice that I could ever give a parent is show your kid that you're human. Don't make them responsible for your emotions, but show them you're flawed, show them you feel, show them you cry, show them you struggle. They're not gonna learn how to cope with all of these different situations, conflict that they're gonna encounter if they don't have that example in you. I know I took that on a, I pivoted no, I that love conversation. It. <laughs> I love it. It's so true because like my, uh, my mom, you know, God, I have mommy issues, but even we now, all do. We all do. <laughs> even now as an adult, like she literally told me the other day that I owe her an apology for the things that I did when I was a teen child, you know, cause I, I, I did a lot of wild stuff, but a lot of that stuff I did was trauma. It was, it was a reaction a of coping. Yeah. And I'm like, how can you genuinely think that as that I owe you an apology for stuff that I did as a child? And it's like, there's no accountability for anything. And it's like, you know what, that's your trauma response. And I accept that. But it's like, for me as a parent, I am not going to hold my daughter responsible for, for my responsibilities as a parent, number one, or my own emotions. Like, I think you even got more than me. I didn't even get, I'm having a bad day. I, I got, you know, you are hateful. You are this, you mm. are that. And it is your fault that this is happening. And so when you, when you're repeated that over and over and over as a child, that is the communication that I received. Like, that's what I grew up believing. I grew up yeah, thinking like, now your this inner is narrative. true. It was my inner narrative. And it took me years to get out of that narrative and to say, you know what? No, like I like who I am. Like I'm okay with who I am and I love who I am. And I can really say that, but to anyone struggling with that, like, man, I, I validate you and, and I understand, but as a parent, like you have to change that cycle because even with my mom's generation and I knew, I know you could probably relate. It's like, well, I'm the parent. I'm older, therefore you should listen to me because I'm right. And if you disagree with me, you're disrespecting me. And it's like, 
no, no. Like even my daughter, I tell her like, yeah, you're 13, but you have the right to an opinion and you have the right to hold a boundary if you're uncomfortable. Like I'll give you an example. So I have this thing where I barge in her room, just joking around and goofing around. And she had to tell me, she's like, I need you to stop barging in my room. And I laughed and she's like, no, I'm serious. Like I need you to knock. And I thought about it and I'm like, okay, you know what? That's her boundary. Let me start knocking. And so now I knock and she, that, that, that's what she needed from me. And it sounds simplistic, but to her at 13, that's her form of autonomy. And yeah. she needed to keep some form of autonomy with me. And that was her boundary. So I think it's very important. So I love that you, you brought that up. So for those that are listening that maybe, you know, don't know where to start with having a healthier version of communication with others. How does someone even start? Like, where do they start with that? How do they do it? <laughs> that, that's the challenge, right? So I, I would say explore the internet. Google and Instagram are great resources for tapping into resources like you, like myself, like podcasts, and, and focus on healthy communication. You can get a lot of great free advice through avenues like that, especially if your friends and family, you know, like I have clients who are trying to work through these things and they'll be like, the more I learn, Amy, the more I realize that my friends are not really the people that I want to be like anymore. And they've been great for X amount of years and I love them, but they're not at the place maturity wise that I'm working towards. And therefore, like, how do I get friends that I can interact with in this mature way because I revert back to those behaviors. So I think that's the other aspect of this that we kind of overlook a lot. Your environments and your friendships, your relationships, they play key roles in any type of growth. If you want to start learning something, expose yourself to new people, even if that just means go volunteer somewhere, right? And just like dip your toe in a new environment, get a taste of it, see and witness what's going on, see if it aligns with how you want to grow and where you are going in your life. If it doesn't, then change direction and go somewhere else and expose yourself somewhere else or meet friends through your friends, right? Or spend time with their family members if you notice that that's a much healthier dynamic. I didn't have immediate family members who were on the same path as me. I had to go beyond that. I was one who paid professionals. That's how I got the information and, and the, the tools that I needed. I leaned on the support system of the professionals that I was paying to be able to get a new reference point and be like, okay, this is a possibility for me now because I didn't have that. And, and mind you, that was even challenging because then you go there and you're like, look at all the possibilities. And then you go home and you're like, oh my God, I got to like fight this battle every time I return home. So it's just like building blocks. You know, you got to start to expose yourself to more things. You've got to start to put yourself out there. Even if it's taking one step and listening to a podcast or a book, there's a reason that People like you and people like myself sit down for free and create content like this to put it out in the world. We didn't have this growing up. We didn't That's right. grow up That's with right. the internet. We, we grew into the internet and then That's learned right. how to take advantage of it and utilize it. And so it's at your fingertips. You can use it. And there's plenty of resources out there to just expose yourself to. 
Oh, that's so true. I mean, we didn't have it. Like I didn't have any coping mechanisms, so I found my own and they were not healthy ones. I think now the internet can be used as a great tool, but I tell people all the time, I say this all the time on my podcast, the, the internet is your library. Your social media is your library. You can fill it up with junk or you can fill it up with things that are going to be helpful to you. And there's so many tools at your fingertips that are free if you can't afford to pay. But also I like what you said about connecting with people who are on your level or where you want to be, because I've even found that since I've been doing this podcast for the last year, that I've connected with so many amazing people like you who are on the same vibration, the same wavelength that I am, the same type of communication, the same type of openness. And that's where I want to connect with people. Those are the type of people that I want to surround myself with, because that makes me a better person. And it makes me want to strive to do better and to be better for other people and to help more people. So I love that connection that you made. Um, One post that you made that I want to talk about, I think that stood out to me is very important as you talked about expectations without communication. So let's talk about that. What, what does that mean? Well, I think a lot of people go into any type of relationship, right? Like whether it's a friendship or let's use romantic relationships as an example, we go in and a lot of women have their like list of like, this is what I'm looking for. And so we expect it. We expect to be treated a certain way. We expect to be spoken. And mind you, those are good. You want those expectations, but you can't expect somebody else to know exactly how to treat you unless you tell them, this is what I appreciate. This is what I connect with. This is how I feel safe. This is how I feel supported. And that's where a lot of people end up in situations where they're like, nobody meets my needs. Nobody gets me. There's nobody good out there. And it's like, there are many, 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 many great men, women, whatever you're interested in out in this world. You have to claim your space in that relationship. And part of doing that is speaking up and being authentic and being transparent and being honest and letting somebody know like, hey, this is what I like. I like being talked to every day. My boyfriend jokes with me. He's like, you're so needy. I I am needy. (laughs) I am needy. Okay. I love attention. Duh. And I love affection and I like it when your hands are all over me. I want that. Okay. And it's a priority to me that I get it. And I don't care if you want to label it spoiled or needy. That's fine. Cause I own that part of myself. I like it. I like to give attention and I like to get attention. And I think that's where a lot of people really struggle is they're like, I'm not needy. I'm not needy. You fucking are just own it. Okay. <laughs> Am I a bitch? Yes, I can be a bitch too, right? Like that's probably the best piece of advice I ever got in my life. I had somebody, a professional that I was working with be like, so what if they called you a bitch? Look them dead in the eye and go, I am a bitch. I can be a bitch. I know when I'm being a bitch right now. I'm not being one, but I can take it there if I want to. You got to own these parts of yourself. Because if you don't claim them, guess what happens? You go out in the world and then somebody mistreats you or somebody doesn't give you what you need and you immediately feel very insecure and you feel not good enough. Like, why are they not meeting these needs? Well, because you didn't speak up and you didn't own it. You didn't ask for it. So if you go into a relationship expecting someone to talk to you a certain way and you don't let them know how you want to be spoken to and then you get disappointed, whose fault is that? It's not because they suck at communicating. They might, 
but you didn't give them a chance to show you whether they could measure up or not. Yeah, you're only as needy as your unmet needs. Mm -hmm. I got that from the book Attached. And for anyone that's out there that's really wants to explore how they are in relationships, I highly recommend the book. And I really feel that that's true. You know, you can even be more on the anxious side. But if you know, like, hey, I know I'm the type of person that wants to be talked to every day. I know I'm the type of person that is that likes a lot of affection, likes to give and likes to receive. You have to voice that. I think a lot of people are afraid to say what they want because they're afraid if they speak up that their partner will become more distant or not want them in the same way. But I say if your partner does that or if your potential partner does that, then that's not your person. Because if you know in the long run that's what you need and if you don't get that, your needs are going to be unmet, well, you have to speak up. And guess what? If that person decides to leave, you just saved yourself so much time. It's so important what you just said. We don't realize this when we're in that phase of our life where we're looking for a person, right? Or wanting a person or dating people. We tend to miss the fact that the right person is going to love the most you version of yourself. And that's a messy version. That's a, you know, a, a bitchy version sometimes. That's a needy version sometimes. That is the most flawed, transparent you. And if you're going to go into relationships trying to paint yourself into this pretty little box of like, this is what dating coach so-and-so said I had to act like to get the man and get the ring, that's going to fail and you're going to be very unhappy. And then you're going to perpetuate any beliefs of you not being good enough. You need to really feel comfortable with who you are and what your needs are and how you speak you know, and I'm a direct person. That's what I, and I'm a very literal person. And that took my boyfriend a second to like understand. He was like, I didn't realize how literal you are. Like you are so, you take everything to be exactly, yes, I do. You know why? Like, and I go into a full psychoanalysis of that. I grew (laughs) up in an environment where nobody said what they meant. And, and when I had to read between the lines, even if I knew I was right, they told me I was wrong. And so there's no room for that now. Don't leave Amy a fill in the blank. I'm going to fill it in wrong I just tell me you want the laundry done today. Say, I need the laundry done today. Don't say, Hey, are you doing the laundry this week? Cause that doesn't mean I'm doing it today in my world. Just ask for what you need. And for me, it's very simple, right? And so I think that's another thing that we tend to miss is that you don't have to be perfect. And also relationships take time to grow. You know, we're still, we're over, we're almost two years in now and we're still like, learning different things about ourselves, the more experiences we have, the more we uncover and the more we work through. And that's where like conflicts can be really great, right? Because when you have a little disagreement or an argument, it's an opportunity for growth to really learn how to connect deeper, navigate something in an easier way. I'm very similar to you as I'm like very a matter of fact, I don't like to know where I, I don't like to know where I don't stand, meaning I always want to know where I stand with somebody because you will always know where you stand with me. Like if you want something, just tell me if something's not working for you, just tell me. I don't want to be in limbo. I, I cannot stand being in limbo. And I found myself in the past that I would try to almost be 
a different version of myself to appease the other person to attract them and keep them around. For example, I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to be needy. So I'm not going to call them for a couple days. And I'll wait until they come around. And yes, that probably did keep them around for longer, because that's the type of partner they wanted, right. But then I found myself constantly feeling anxious, because my needs consistently went unmet, because I wasn't speaking up and saying, this is what I need from you. So yes, it kept the person around longer, but it kept the wrong person around longer. So then finally, when I couldn't take it anymore, and I finally started like speaking up or speaking my needs or, or just getting these like anxiety driven paragraphs and sending them, then yes, it did chase the person away. But I had to get to a point where it's like, okay, what can I work on? Well, I'm not going to send paragraphs to anybody, but what I'm going to do now is do it in a more Been healthy there. way. Yeah. <laughs> I've been the girl. Listen, I've sent the paragraphs. I've been the anxious person. I've been the one that was constantly calling and texting and driving the relationship and making more of the effort. But now I'm like, no, I'm just going to be more forward with where I'm at, what I'm looking for and what I need from someone. And if that person is not capable, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It just means that's not the person for me. And that's the distinction that I had to make because there there was an un unhealthy version of myself <laughs> been there but like that's the key difference in I know my value versus I need you next to me to feel a value and and that that takes time like that took me a very long time to get to that place where I was like no this is just what I need like I don't I was always the person too who was like taking the driver's seat in the relationship. I would reach out. I would do the plans. I would even in friendships, I was always that person. And that's what the minute I stepped back, you know, had tons of growth in between there and then stepped back and like watched. I was like, oh, I never hear from this person. If I'm not the one initiating, I don't hear from this person. Do I want somebody in my life who doesn't want to actively? I'm a good time. I would want to talk to me all day long. I do talk to me all day long. I talk to myself all day long. I entertain myself just fine. If you don't want to talk to me or hang out with me or make an effort or you tell me you're going to and you can't follow through, those aren't things I do. And those like two little bits of wisdom really helped me. I don't do this to others. Why am I accepting that treatment? And I don't does I don't deserve is such a funny word these days because I think we throw it around in weird contexts. But the truth is, is that I'm not going to treat people that way. I don't want to be treated that way. And I think that's important. I don't want to be forgotten. I don't want to have to. I wouldn't want somebody begging me to hang out. You know, I wouldn't want that. I, but I also, it wouldn't happen with me because I'd tell you straight to your face, I'm not interested. <laughs> so. That's right. That's right. See, I like, I wish you were closer because like, we'd be such good friends. I know. I, <laughs> I, like We're like internet besties. But yeah, I had a friend like that. Same thing. Man, I, I really liked her. I was always initiating and I stopped and I'm like, man, I'm always the one reaching out. Let me just step back. And when I step back and I'm like, I realized I'm like, okay, she's not 
initiating. So let me communicate my need, communicating my need and said, Hey, I noticed that if I don't initiate that, I don't hear from you. And then even after I communicated the need, then there was like this even more distant. I'm like, Oh, this person's becoming completely avoided. I don't want that in my life. So like, yes, she's not a bad person, but this is not something I'm not going to continue a close friendship with this person because this is something that I will need from a friendship. And this person is not capable of providing that. But that came with a lot of self-awareness and insight because I used to look for red flags with people. Mm. And I know you you made a post about that, about seeking out red flags on purpose. And lots of posts on that. (laughs) Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. Why do people do that? And what can that look like? Well, I I think that we've been conditioned at this point by a lot of professionals to seek out a red flag if we've been in a bad situation, an abusive relationship or a traumatic relationship. But what I've come to learn is that looking for things that are going to make me feel unsafe makes me constantly feel unsafe. That doesn't help my nervous system. And so what I came to realize in my own personal journey was why don't I take ownership of my value here and look for the green flags in the relationship? Because you're not neglecting the red flag. Because if you can't find the green flag, it's not there, right? And so what does that tell you? The person's a red flag. That relationship's a red flag. It's just a shift in perspective. Because when you look at the red flags with trauma, what you're doing is keeping your nervous system activated. You're not going to feel grounded or safe or be able to feel present when you're constantly seeking out danger because then your nervous system is looking to protect yourself 24-7. And then what happens is a lot of people are like, is that a red flag? Is that a red flag? How do I know the difference between that being a real red flag or is this just me projecting my trauma? And I'm like, you are making this way too complicated. (laughs) Set, Set the standards for yourself. What do you value? Do you value, like you shared, right? Do you value being spoken to directly? Do you like honest and and transparent communication? That's a green flag. So when you go to have that conversation or that text message, you know, exchange with a person, pay attention. Are they honest and transparent? Don't look for, are they manipulating me? What is your body going to do in that moment that you're looking for the manipulation? Look for the thing you value. And what happens is then in that moment of looking for what you value, continue to uphold those standards or those boundaries, right? And when they're not there, you're continuing to uphold them by consequences and not continuing to engage with that person in the same way or continuing that relationship the same way. Do you feel like conflict can be a good thing because I feel like conflict is inevitable in every relationship. And as you pointed out, sometimes we can look for those conflicts. Sometimes we can look for the red flags, but do you feel like conflict at times can be healthy? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I would say more times than not it's healthy, but I will speak on behalf of all of the people who grew up with the worst version and example of conflict. I didn't feel that way for probably more than half my life. I was like, oh my God, there's a problem. There's an argument. That means this is not good. You're going to abandon me or this relationship can't continue because I didn't grow up with conflict resolution skills. There, conflict wasn't resolved in our house. It escalated. It was screaming, yelling, fighting, threatening. And then it was always blaming somebody else. So somebody else had to fix it for you. 
And then the next, and then you'd wake up the next day and it was like, everybody had amnesia. I was like, am I in the fucking twilight zone? Everybody was like, hi, good morning, Amy. And I was like, you just threatened to kill me yesterday. What do you mean? Right. And like, and that's what would happen. And I would, and that was my skill set. I would have a conflict and I would panic. That's what I took away from that environment. I would panic and fear that you were going to abandon me and not love me because my, my dad, if he got mad, he would walk down and completely ignore me if I was like, good morning, daddy, just because he decided he was in a bad mood that day. So I would fear somebody ignoring me, neglecting me, abandoning me, all of those things. But my siblings may have taken away something else from the same environment, you know, like, you know, one might scream and yell and imitate what happened. I am not a yeller. If I'm angry, I'm talking to you the same way I'm talking to you right now. And I used to be a very angry person because I grew up in that environment. Needless to say, you can see how the experience you had in those first environments teaches you a skill set. And, and what you take away from it is either a fear or a skill. And my fears led the way when it came to conflict. So I was scared of it. And now as I've worked through that, I realize like how productive conflict can be. You understand somebody differently when there's contrast in a situation. When, when there's something bad that happens, it really highlights the things that you want and you value and you need, but only if you're looking for that. If you're stuck in the panic and the fear of like, oh my God, and, and mind you, both can be true. Like I, for a very long time in this relationship, every time there was an argument, had a full-blown panic attack and was like, are you going to break up with me? Are you going to break up with me? And he would have to reiterate constantly, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not. And he understood he has a master's in counseling. <laughs> he gets it. But he would reiterate to me. And, and that was helpful. It soothed me, but it didn't fix me. And I think that's important too. Your partner can be supportive and find ways to help you self-soothe and regulate in those moments. But I still had to do the heavy lifting of really working through the core issue of abandonment and the fear around us having an argument. I've never had an example, really until him, of productive conflict resolution. And he's had tons. So he's like, you know, we could disagree and argue and be annoyed. And then five to 10 minutes later, totally be laughing and fine. Right. And I'm like, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but I realized very quickly, I did have a reference point for it. My siblings and I did something similar growing up, you know, like I couldn't stand my brother one minute and 20 minutes later, I was like, you want to play with me? And I was like, okay, you can pull from these different areas of your life, even if it's just like one friend that you had that you were able to work through conflict with, you take that, take that into your relationship now, whatever the context is in that relationship, pull out the value of those other relationships and utilize it. And I've, I've been able to do that from my relationships with my siblings and be like, okay, wait, this is similar. I can like tell you you're an asshole for 2.5 seconds and then be like, oh my God, I love you so much. You're so cute. And it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I'm like that with my daughter. And I think she taught me conflict resolution because with her, I wanted to change the cycle. I, I didn't want to have that generational trauma trickle down into her. And so for me, of course, like as a parent, you get upset. Sometimes you get annoyed at certain things, especially when I got to tell her 
10 fucking times to clean the cat litter, but I don't hold on to that annoyance or that anger. You know, I'm able to communicate it and then I'm able to move on. And I think that that was really good practice for me to change some of those cycles with how I communicated or how I was taught to communicate because I was obviously taught that there was really no communication unless you were yelling and screaming and then we can just sweep it under the rug like nothing ever happened. But I I agree. I do think that conflict can be healthy, but it's all about how you communicate and how you resolve those and what you learned from those. So for you, what do you feel like you've learned when it comes to communication, just hearing your background going into how you are now and how much you've learned, what piece of advice would you give to other people who are maybe struggling with communication if they were to you know, want to move forward? What would you say to them? I would say the first thing that you always want to do in, in really working through any communication issues is really learn how to have a practice with yourself to feel seen, heard, and validated. And, and a really good one for me always is journaling. Because if I can, you know, there's people who are like, oh, I typed the text and then I deleted it. There's value in that statement. What you did was you got your emotions out. They felt seen, heard and validated. And then you realized maybe they're not rational or productive. Let me delete it and rewrite it. Right. Well, you can utilize those skills before you go and have a conversation that feels a little more heightened for you or scary for you. Sit down and have that conversation with yourself or write out what you're feeling so you get clear. The clearer you are, and this is really the biggest takeaway, at least in the present moment for me, I think I'm a pretty clear communicator. But you know, in my personal relationships, I might not always be because I do have my own triggers. And so sitting down and really kind of processing the emotion from the moment, whatever it was, and getting clear about what my need is, like giving my boyfriend clear direction on what I need from him instead of talking around the issue because I'm scared to claim the need or I'm not yet clear. So I'm still stuck in my emotions that's been a really beneficial thing and been very productive in my life. So I would say acquiring a skill where you provide yourself an environment where you feel seen, heard, and validated, whether you text message yourself, I give that tip to all my clients. It's very helpful. There's something about sending the message and then receiving it back to yourself where it's like it hits different. Journaling, something like that. Because emotions need an outlet. And often we communicate too quickly, especially in conflict. And it's not productive because it's convoluted with a lot of triggers and a lot of fears and a lot of anxiety. It doesn't always come out clear. And you don't always mean what you say. And I have a whole podcast episode that's titled, You Can't Unsay It and They Can't Unhear It. And I, I keep that with me in every conversation I have. You can't unhear what I'm about to say when I'm angry. So let me make sure it's not gonna hurt your confidence, it's not gonna plant a seed and make you feel some shitty way about yourself, life, or us. Let me make sure everything I say aligns with who I am and I can walk away from that conversation really proud of it. 
I love that because for me, that was a big step. I used to be that person to write paragraphs. And now I still write them, but I just don't send them. And I I take a, a second to, even if I have to have a girlfriend read it for me, but just to take some time to reflect, like, is this really how I feel? Is this really how I want to identify my needs to the other person? And nine times out of 10, I'm going to be honest, when I look at it, maybe 24 hours later, or even just let it settle, I end up erasing like 90% of it and (laughs) changing up the whole thing. Because in the moment, I was very elevated and emotional and triggered. And it's not how I wanted to come across. And like you said, it wasn't productive. Um, Amy, tell everybody where they can find you, the name of your podcast, what you're up to. I just, I, again, I have you, I've had you on here three times for a reason. And you guys are all listening. If you made it to the end of this episode, now you understand why. So I want everyone to be able to listen to your episodes and find you. So what are you up to? Thank you. Um, they can find me on Instagram. It's where I hang out the most. My handle is at Amy, the life coach. And I actually have a course that I'm working on coming out very soon. And it's going to be boundary setting for trauma survivors. So we're going to cover a lot of the little bits and pieces that we talked about today, how your nervous system being activated can really infringe on your ability to speak up and what are the tools that you can learn to maneuver through that and be able to have productive, healthy conversations and just like flourishing relationships. So Again, follow me on Instagram. I really, I think you're going to get a lot of free value there, but um, you can also get all the links to my email list and my podcast is called Connect the Dots, Bitch. You can stream it on Apple, Spotify, Google, anywhere podcasts are. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of value in those episodes as well. And as always, I'll link everything for all of you to find Amy. Amy, man, once again, I appreciate your time, your energy, your knowledge. You're amazing. Thank you for coming on for the third time and for episode 51 and my one year anniversary. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Until next time, see you on the next episode of Diary of an Empath.